welcome one, welcome all to the Big Tent Circus that is T-Pop the Pod. Uh, happy 412 day for those who celebrate. I am Kevin Cray. And I'm Steve DiMaselli. Steve, Pirates, 7-5 and five after 12, coming off of, uh, you know, they've won one out of three against the Astros, little steps here and there. But if you would have said, if I would have said, hey, Steve, after 12 games, Pirates basically have three and a half pitchers in the rotation. They lost O'Neill Cruz for the vast majority of the season, and they're 7-5. and five. Would you take it? Absolutely. Well, I mean, not the not the O'Neill Cruz out part. I mean, that's a uh, yeah. That's a, that's a little problematic. I would be like, well, I'll take si- I'll take six and six and O'Neill Cruz. Like, can we can we make that arrangement? Is that fair, or does it have to be uh, some sort of be... Fa- Faustian bargain? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I would take se- I would take five and seven and still have O'Neill Cruz, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm happy with I'm happy with the record. It, you know, separated from everything else that's gone on, it's it's hard not to be happy with the record. And you know, I'm grateful that they uh, made it through the Houston series with at least getting a win because I after the first game I didn't think they were gonna get. I thought they were gonna get swept. I thought Houston's just such a good team. Like they're they're just they're just excellent, um, you know, from the players to the analytics uh, that sort of shine through. I mean, they're they're just they're they're just a top notch organization at this point. The crazy part, as good as the Astros are, uh, the Rays are probably one and a half times better. I haven't watched them yet. So they are, they're doing gross things. Yeah, I think I saw a stat that they've hit the most home runs, and. You know they have like a phenomenal pitching staff, and I believe they're eleven and zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, they haven't gross. lost a game. I think it might actually be twelve at this point. Maybe. So. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're. They, yeah. They, I mean, like I said, it's it's incredible so far. I mean, obviously that's not sustainable, but it, it does seem like they've really put together a hell of a show. Um, yeah. In Florida. So. Uh, you got anything you want to get off your chest and uh, hop onto the old safe space couch? Yeah, sure. So I, I mentioned this last episode, but I have the uh, I've got the old MLB.tv package. You know, since uh, one of the perks of being out of market is that's available for me for the Pirates and for all of their minor league package. Um, you know, so I've been uh, watching tons and tons and tons of of the minor leagues so far, you know, flipping between games, looking at what's going on in one and, and, and hitting the highlights in the other. But in the year 2023, for the love of God, minor league baseball broadcasts, put a, put a radar gun and, and a radar reading on your broadcast. This has happened to me, you know, uh, the pirates or excuse me, the, the Indianapolis Indians were in Louisville for a six game set. A six-game set, um, and for some reason, the bats did not have any specification as far as the radar goes. So we have, you know, so I mean, like obviously, I can I can pick up what breaking stuff is. Like I can usually differentiate differentiate between a slider and a curveball. You know, something that Nick Gonzalez can't do right now. But um, I. You know, but I, I mean, like, you still, it's nice to see what a guy's actually throwing, what kind of heat they're bringing. Um, 
you know, it, it's it's just very, very important information, and it's just been lacking. Like, I was watching, you know, before we started recording this, I had Greensboro against uh, Jersey Shore on. Again, there was spot on this, there was a spot in there for uh, a, a radar reading, no miles per hour on any of the pitches. Ridiculous. 2023. Get your crap together, New Jersey. Wow. Steve, I was 100% listening on that one. Yeah. That was... Uh... That was good, and um, I, I, I hear you, and uh, Godspeed. Thank you. They've gotten a little fiery the last couple of them, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. We've we've gone in on some people. They lately, they but... built to a crescendo at this point. I'm not designed. Yeah. That's not by design. That's just happening. That's all natural people, natural <laughs> rage. So lately on the podcast, we've been doing some. Uh, short segments where we've kind of gone through a variety of topics, but um, we sort of foreshadowed this one last week, and Steve and I thought it would be a good idea to maybe lay down and uh, really dedicate some time to Mitch Keller, um, who right now is the is the top pitcher on the on the Pirates. I always hate when people call him the staff ace. That's just such a terrible term. But I just wanted to maybe do a T-Pop article in audio form so you could hear all of our amazing analytical analysis combined with the dulcet tones of our voices. So let me kind of give you Mitch Keller in three acts. The first act was his start of his career up to May, the end of May 2022. So we're talking 2019 on. And he was uh, terrible. He was one of the worst pitchers in the majors. He was 9 and 22 with a 597 career ERA. Uh, in 214 innings that he pitched, he had 210 Ks. That's really good. But he had 103 walks. Uh oh. And 260 hits. So that's too many walks. That's close to four and a half walks per nine inning and well over uh, one hit per inning pitched. So. He was just too hittable, and the, the word on the street was that his fastball was just too straight, no movement on it. Well, whether it was the Pirates pitching coach or Mitch himself or whatever, in mid-season, starting in June of last year to the end of 2022, he put up a 323 ERA, so he had shaved nearly... 2.7 runs off of his career average, which is astonishing in its own right. And he pitched 115 innings, still kept up the solid strikeout rate with 101 Ks, but now he dropped his walks down to 40 walks in 115. So that's roughly one every three innings, a vast improvement. And now, in those 115 same innings, he only gave up 114 hits. How did he do this? Well, it's very rare to see someone do this midstream, but he actually introduced two new pitches. Uh, one is the sinker, and the other is the pitch that is probably, I'm going to say, saved his career, and that's called the sweeper. So in that June to the end of last year period, he, his batting average against was 262 with only a 370 slugging, so a 108, 108 ISO, that's like, you know, Cabrian Hayes level of ISO. And 
he had done it by incorporating these two pitches, the sweeper and the sinker. The sweeper, uh, in a very timely fashion, there's a great video by Pitching Ninja on YouTube about what exactly is the sweeper. And essentially it's it's been named something new, but it's always been around. And it's basically a slider with a lot of horizontal break. Whereas uh, a typical slider, as you think about it, has both vertical and horizontal. The sweeper is mostly horizontal. So now in Act 3, we go on to the year of our Lord 2023. And in his age 27 season, uh, a lot of people are saying, hey, is that going to carry over from last year? And the answer is, you bet it is. And in some aspects, it's even better. First three starts, 357 ERA. Uh, in 17 innings, he has 22 Ks, so he's up over a K an inning. Eight walks, not great, small sample size, but he's only given up 16 hits with a 239 batting average against. So going on the stat cast side of things, the positives about Mitch Keller is that he's got, uh, in terms of percentiles, he's in the 94th percentile in exit velocity. His... The balls uh, coming off the bats right now are coming off at an average of 82.9 miles per hour, which, to put it into layman terms, that's Kevin Newman. Uh, he's 94th percentile in hard hit percentage, 84th percentile in fastball spin rate, and an 80th percentile in chase rate. So uh, my man's out there excelling. He's thriving. And he's doing it with with an astounding six pitches. Uh, you know, Steve and I are going to probably talk about gentlemen in the minor leagues that we're thinking might be coming up sooner than later. Uh, we're hoping he gets to three pitches. But right. my, man Ke- my man Keller is sporting six. And Steve, uh, after I sung the praises of the sweeper and the sinker, what do you think is the most thrown pitch in Mitch Keller's arsenal of those six? Of those six? Yeah, of the six um, he throws. I mean, I, he doesn't really go the four seam that much anymore. Like, the four seam's like this, oh, by the way, I can still ramp this up to almost 97 miles an hour. Um, I mean, I would think the sinker, probably. I think he's mostly off the sinker, no? My man is rocking a cutter. Mm. 20, 23.9% of the time. The four-seamer that you talked about is the second most thrown at 21.3, okay. which is down from its peak of 59.5% wow. thrown in 2019. And then you got the uh, the double-headed uh, tandem of the sweep, sinker and sweeper, both at roughly 17.9%. Uh, his curve at 15.6, and he keeps everyone honest with a change at 4%. It's admittedly his worst pitch. Um, and when you dig into it on StatCast, he's throwing the sinker and the sweeper, as you can imagine, especially the sweeper, almost exclusively to right-handed batters. Okay. Lefties just don't even see it. Uh, the curve and the cutter have a 2-to-1 ratio of being thrown to the lefties. So that's what he's using to keep the lefties off balance. And his curve is literally unhittable 
after 47 pitches in 2023. Batters are a robust 0 for 47 hmm. against it. So, out there thriving. My man Mitch Keller, add all that up and what do you really have? So, I, I'm always, I always classify people based on innings pitched, you know, the number of innings that they give you, and what the the rate of hits and the, what the rate of strikeouts and Ks are. And in my Bouillabaisse, you know, calculation that I put together, he comes out as like a high three or low end number two, which coincidentally is exactly what he was forecast to be when he was drafted in the second round all the way back in 2014. So he's finally, finally, finally living up to his forecast. And, you know, I'm always a little, probably a little bit pessimistic in between the two of us. And it sounds like saying he's a high three is damning with faint praise, but there's tremendous value in that, especially if he could get it up into the low two range of being a pitcher. You know, you're talking like a, a Liriano or Burnett when they were here for the Pirates. That's what I always considered those guys to be were, were, were twos. And there is a ton, a ton of value in that. Oh, yeah, no question. Um, and, I mean, he's not, you know, based on peripheral numbers, it's not like he's getting tremendously lucky or anything like that. You know, I mean, I understand that he hasn't, um, you know, I mean, he's he's had a couple of balls leave the yard so far. But, I mean, when you look at his BABIP, his BABIP is 310 against. So, I mean, he's actually getting a little unlucky there. Uh, you know, home runs to fly balls, I mean, that is a little elevated as well at 20%, you know. So, I mean, he's stranding some – he's maybe stranding some more guys than he ought to. But, um, you know, uh, the – XFIP is right in line with the ERA, um, you know, right in line with the XERA. So, I mean, all of those things combined, I mean, this is real. And I think, you know, when I think of Mitch Keller at this point, I kind of look at him as like a Franken pitcher. And what I mean by Franken pitcher is, is I feel like he kind of came to the majors with three pitches, you know, and he's had to, through experimentation and reinventing himself, he's added more and more to the arsenal. And at this point, he's got six workable pitches. And that's sort of how we arrived at it. You know, the fastball's not working. Let's try a cutter. Okay, cutter fastball's not working. Let's throw the sinker into the mix, too. Uh, you know, slider's not working great. Let's let's move on to the sweeper, you know. So, I mean, all of those things, like, I, I mean, that's that's a heavy-duty arsenal. Like, I don't know how, as a, a hitter, you prepare for that. I just don't. Yeah, and, and you can tell that he's, he's really confounding some batters out there right now. Um, I think he does have – I think he is in some of the batters' heads when they come up to the plate, uh, especially with him – I don't want to say pitching backwards, but he's not pitching off of a four-seamer like the vast majority of pitchers do, even mm-hmm. in this day and age. Um, here's my last question on on Keller. Has, has the ship sailed in order to get him signed to a quasi-team-friendly extension? No, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I think that he can still... Um, I mean, I think they're going to have to act fast. You know, um, like probably get it done before the end of the season. But I mean, I I still think that they can get it done. 
I mean, he he signed a good chunk for, you know, for a good chunk out of out of school. But I mean, like if I'm a pitcher at this point, you know, I'm I'm happy to share the risk. You know what I mean? Like if I've still got two years before I get to big money, um, then I'm happy to share the risk and maybe lose a year to a free agency because, you know, you look at what happened to JT Brubaker and we're going to talk about this here very, very soon. But that elbow is gone, you know, I mean, and, and he's losing a year of service and it's not, um, yeah, I mean, it's, he's not losing a year of service, but he's losing a year of playing time, you know, that he can sort of build up towards, um, you know, I, you know, breaking out and, and demonstrating on the open, you know, for the open market, what he can do. Yeah. I mean, if that happens the year before he's, you know, bound for free agency, I mean, that's, you know, he's, he's kind of screwed, you know, like he's got to, not only is he, you know, have to wait on a contract, but then he's gonna also have to, you know, take a year of less pay to probably prove himself again. So I, I mean, yeah, I'd still, if I'm a pitcher, I'm sharing the risk at this point, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Am I going to go crazy? No. I mean, the pirates are still going to have to pay me something, but I mean, I, I still, I, I, if I'm Keller, I'm open to an extension, you know, even one that's, that's maybe a little bit team friendly. Yeah. Well, I think this is probably a good transition. Uh, we've, just talked about Brubaker, and I sort of uh, foreshadowed a, maybe a pitcher than in Indianapolis that's piquing my curiosity. So probably time to have a discussion about the old rotation depth. Uh, JT Brubaker, as we've said a couple times here, he uh, got cut. You know, took took the uh, knife to the elbow here, and gonna have that old Tommy John surgery, and he's gonna be out. Probably about 16 months is what the official pirate forecast said. Um, so essentially that takes him out till next year's All-Star break, um, which isn't good. He obviously hasn't been in the rotation this year, but that's just one option, um, one less option to be counted on this year. Coupled with last week, uh, Mike Burroughs being taken out of a start with what has been termed right now uh, a forearm tightness, which is typically a precursor to needing Tommy John itself. Um, so the Pirates are kind of maybe down two two options right now. And uh, Rich Hill not looked good in his past two starts. Vince Velasquez hasn't looked good in his past uh, career. And Pirates are going to be needing some arms here. Uh, what are your thoughts, Steve, on who and when we may see someone get uh, get brought up? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to probably end up going in a different direction than you were thinking I'm going to go into. But um, I, to to sort of piggyback on what you were what you were saying before, um, you know, Velasquez was kind of gimpy during his starts to Ronzi's. Uh, um, his velocity is down a little bit. So there's something to be concerned about there too. As far as Mike Burroughs goes, it sounds like the ligament damage is actually in his forearm from what I'm hearing, but the timeline for his turn or his return is he'll be out for a while. Um, you know, so, uh, pirates are also down Caleb Smith and not that I, I think anybody's really all that excited to see him in the majors, but he was a sort of a left-hand you know, organizational depth sort of guy. 
Um, probably meant to help them get through the early part of the season until uh, Ortiz is ready. Um, but, you know, he's down now too. So, like, the Pirates are, you know, I, I, thankfully the, the, the actual rotation is maybe a little dinged up, you know, outside of Brubaker, but they're holding up. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I mean, interestingly enough, I, I think it might be time to, if they're not willing to bring up Ortiz in the short term, and, and I, I did watch most of his start today, and he got beat up a little bit, um, had a rough, I believe it was fourth inning or third inning, um, you know, but it, he did some good things too. Like, I, I mean, there was a left-handed batter that I recall him going to the changeup three pitches in a row and striking the guy out swinging on it. You know, I mean, he's thrown it for strikes a little bit more. So he's looking better. He's getting closer. My concern with Ortiz is he still hasn't pitched more than 80 or he still hasn't thrown more than 80 pitches in a start yep. this entire season. So yep. that's that's kind of a, a concern at this point and, and bodes to him maybe needing a little bit more time just to get fully stretched out. But... um. In the meantime, I think it might be smart to send Will Crow down and actually work on getting him stretched out to be an emergency starter, un, you know, to, to sort of bridge the gap until Ortiz is fully ready. I think Ortiz probably has another month. Um, part of that is for service time. Part of that is for, you know, just getting stretched out. And again, I want to see them working and working on the that that change up because that really does maximize his ceiling. I don't want to necessarily rush him back to the majors just to fill a hole. I'm more concerned with his development. I'm more concerned with his long-term upside than I am his short-term. But, you know, um, besides the not being stretched out part, you know, I I, I mean, there's, there's other reasons to keep him down. And I think, honestly, Will Crow might be the desperation starter that they could need in the short term. What about this idea? And this could be terrible, and you're welcome to tell me it is. What if you piggybacked, brought Ortiz up, and he piggybacked him with Crow? And he said, all right, come hell or high water, Luis, you're giving us four innings. And then Will comes in for two to three innings. Um, I still think his, I, I, I mean, it, you know, once his service time's cleared, then maybe, I mean, I do want to keep him for an extra year. Like, don't get oh, me wrong yeah. in that. The little cameo at the end of last year is going to extend it, uh, the amount of time that he needs, needs to actually spend in the minors. And again, I am really also concerned about that changeup. I really want to see that as a masterful pitch and not just a work in progress when he comes back to the majors. Um, because you know how fans are, you know. They want to see results right from the jump. Like, I mean, everybody and their brother would have been happy to send Mitch Keller to, like, South Korea, you know, a a couple of years Mm ago uh, because he wasn't ready when he came up. You know, I I mean, Ortiz is still pretty young. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see him as close to a finished product because he's really, like... Until he is that finished product, he's going to have blow-up innings and he's going to struggle. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yep. he's not really going to help the team win by coming up in pitching four innings. You know, I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I understand that. I mean, they're off to a good start. But again, I don't think this is the season's really just uh, still about, you know, putting the pieces together in development. And I don't want to necessarily sacrifice 
his development for 12 innings over three starts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. I just uh, don't know how much more I can take of Vince Velasquez. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a questionable signing to begin with. I mean, I liked uh, his the first inning of his start was um, his last start was great. And then he just sort of the wheels just came flying off. Um, and, and I think there's probably, you know, they, they, they sort of replayed on TV his uh, like, you know, I, like he came off the mound like gingerly the one time. And I think it's possible that he tweaked something. Um there's things to like about him this year. His velocity is up a little bit, which is something that we had talked about when he was first signed, that that's something that needs to sort of happen for him to be a rebound candidate. But I'm not, I'm I'm also not going to like, I'm not quite ready to sell on him yet either. I, I'm still, uh, you know, it's still, still way too early to, to, to get up at arms about anybody. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I get you. I, and I agree with you too. I, I think the Pirates got to reassess where they are on May 1st, though. And um, I think that's the time that they might need to maybe toss a a chase to Young and uh, Vince Velasquez overboard at that point. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. I mean, like, um, DeYoung's got a, I mean, DeYoung's got a little bit of cred at this point because he did have a good season last year, at least in terms of his, like, raw era i mean like if you look any of his peripherals you know he was a hot mess but um you know again in terms of actual results he was pretty decent last year so uh, he's got i mean he probably has more than a month of 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 built up cred at this point but um but yeah i mean velasquez i mean you know they're they're paying him the reality of it is is he might be the best person for de young's job once it's um you know, once, once he's past the, uh, you know, or one, once the pirates are past that point with him, you know, have you been, uh, checking out the Indians bullpen also when you've been watching uh, uh, a little bit? I mean, I've yeah. seen, I saw Cody Bolton go today. Uh, you know, he's in the 92, 94 range. I mean, he seems like, uh, he's, he's got a little bit of an air of a junker. I mean, I remember when 92 to 94 was still a decent, you know, velocity for a right-handed pitcher it wasn't like he was a soft tosser now he's a a soft tosser especially out of the pen but yeah he looks he looks pretty decent I mean wadzitski has got some uh he's, he's got some 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 meat uh on a little bit more on his fastball there you know so but he's been kind of struggling for results I, I mean yeah uh, De Los Santos is is probably still the next guy up from that pen I mean, of course, Robert Stevenson is the next guy up, and that's another topic. But, um, you know, like I said, De Los Santos is probably first. Uh, but there's other guys that have looked good. I mean, even I mean, I, John John Riley, even he um, looked halfway decent in a couple of the appearances that I've seen of him. Like, not good, but not like, you know, not not didn't completely embarrass himself. And the rotation, Osvaldo uh, Beto, I mean, he's actually... Um, He's probably a name that we should be paying a little bit more attention to. I know he's overage, but he was kind of a light late bloomer, bloomer as a pop prospect and signed at 21 to begin with, you know. So um, his his development has been weird, um, to say the least, but he's got good stuff and he's starting to put together some good results in Indianapolis. So, I mean, like he's also a guy that could easily get converted into a bullpen piece 
um, I think very very I soon. Think, uh, I think even in lieu of De Los Santos, I think Perdomo and Johan Ramirez are probably getting looks too at this. Yeah, point. Oh yeah, you're right. I forgot about Ramirez. Um, Perdomo's for as bad of a spring as he had, he's he's been pretty good so far in Indianapolis, from what I can tell. I mean, I, I know we were talking about maybe not upsetting the apple cart on the rotation until May first, but I'd sub out De Jong for one of Perdomo or Ramirez right now. I don't think that's going to cause you any heartburn. Yeah, as I don't know. A, like as, I said, I, as an organization, I mean, I think Young's going to get. I, I think he's going to he's going to hang in there until for a little bit. Like I said, I think he 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 got a little bit of capital last year that he's not going to get cut before May. You know, unless he mm-hmm. really stinks the joint up, like you know, because he doesn't have any options. So he's. I mean, he's probably not gone. I mean, if he really stinks the joint up, he'll probably get through waivers. But yeah, and. I mean, if we really use, if we really lose De Jong, is that really a big deal? <laughs> no, but I mean, this 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 reliever hoarding front office might be a little reluctant to do so. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not sweating it personally, yeah. but I mean, like, there's not he De Jong does a thing at this point, and there's not a lot of people right now for the Pirates that do a thing or do that thing. Um, you know, I, I mean, in the sense that he comes in and does mop-up duty in middle middle innings and stuff like that. You know, I mean, Will Crow could theoretically be that guy as well, too. Um, but again, you know, I, I mean, with them as thin as they are in the rotation, I mean, even moving like somebody like Beto into that sort of role is just probably not in the cards at the moment. So, I, I mean, I, honestly, the bullpen is, the bullpen to me doesn't need to be touched. You know, I, I'm even a little concerned about putting Stevenson into... Uh, into the pen you know I, I think everybody's they've they've done well enough at this point they're one of the better in terms of f4 one of the best staffs in in baseball if, if not the best um i mean that's going to get pegged down a little bit today because you know they had a little bit of a meltdown but i, I mean it they've been they've been pretty darn solid i'm, I'm i like i said i'm just not I'm not. I guess I'm not just just not in much of a hurry to make changes at the major league level. Now, down in the farm system, we could do a whole episode on guys that are incorrectly placed and who I'm hoping will get promoted very, very, very soon. But um, again, that's not necessarily for today. Foreshadowing. I don't know. I don't know. This one might be one of those like deep foreshadows, like where we get to it in like a month. We should talk. Probably do. Uh, we should probably do three stars and wrap this up, though. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you lead us off? Okay. So I'm going with so for my third star, and and we didn't do this last time, but you know we've got a very small sample from you know Sunday to to Wednesday of, of people to talk about. So um, I'm actually going to go with uh, someone that's it's, he's, he's the resurgent Matt Frazier. He's absolutely been on the tear the last couple of days in Altoona. Like two home runs. I think a couple of doubles, like just doing, uh, actually hitting like the player that we thought he might turn into. So I, I got to give him credit. I, I mean, he's just he's just absolutely on fire right now. All right. So for my number three, I'll put a minor leader in, and I'll say Henry Davis. Uh, he hit his first home run today. He's got his OPS up to nine sixty six, and he has more walks and strikeouts, which yep. is always something that. Makes this old chunk of coal smile. Number two for you? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we line up here um, the rest of the way. So G-Man Choi is my uh, 
is is my number two. Uh, he uh, he hit a couple of dingers, uh, a couple of real no doubters the last uh, last couple of days. Really made the uh, um, gave the gave the Pirates a little sign of life in Game One against the Astros, and then actually contributed towards a win on uh, on on Tuesday. So uh, I got to give it up for him. I think he's been been very good the last few days. Well, you were semi right. Uh, I'm going to take his fellow countryman, and that's Jiwon Bay. Um, he had a, a great walk-off home run on Tuesday night to give the Pirates the win against the Astros in the series. Um, it is hard for me to separate the art from the artist a little bit on this one, as you know I've wrestled with before. But at this point, I'm cheering for his contributions to the front of the jersey. And he's my number one. So that's actually, that was a great moment. Again, we don't have a lot to go on. And he's been, uh, he's been struggling with the strikeout otherwise. But like, that was a, that, that was a big boy moment. And, and it, that was a lot of fun to watch. So I, I'm going with Jiwon Bay as my number one star for the half week since the last recording. And uh, I'm going to go a little bit off base here maybe, but I think I praised him last week, and I'm going to praise him again. And that's Colin Holderman. He's my number one. Okay. Um, all you know. Let's let's give some praise on the on the setup, man. Uh, everyone always wants to give the flowers to the to the closer, but uh, Holderman has been almost untouchable uh, so far this year, um, and he's provided that steady bridge in the eighth inning to get it to Bednar, who aside from yesterday's. A little bit of a blow up on Tuesday uh, has been great, but it's been Holderman who's kind of locked that eighth inning roll down. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't see any reason not to give him there. He, he was, he was really dominant on, uh, yep. on, on, on Tuesday. So, well, Steve, it looks like it's about that time for us to bid adieu to our loyal listeners. Um, so we will part company here and say thank you as always for listening. And I am Kevin Cray. And I'm Steve DiMaselli. Thank you.